Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning, Long Beach Christian Fellowship. This is really fun. I'm starting this morning with a disclaimer. I actually think I always start with a disclaimer. It's the please don't judge me disclaimer. I'm wearing pointed-toed shoes with wide leg pants, and I believe that that is a fashion faux pas. I just don't want you to get so distracted by the fact that my shoes are pointy that you just can't think about anything else. Good? Are we good on that one? One other thing I need to tell you, this past week, I've had like family, well actually for the past two weeks, but mainly this last week, family has been at my house from Roseville and from Indiana. They've been driving me crazy. They have been making such messes in my home. Small children, do you know what they do with their Cheerios? After they chew them, they spit them out. And they just leave them wherever they land. Anyway, it was amazing and wonderful to have Cheerios on my floor and all kinds of things spilled and nothing ever in place. And the last relative left yesterday. um, And John and I feel like we have no bones inside our body and we've never slept before (laughs) in our... So that is how I come to you today. Um, they were here because one of our granddaughters, Rebecca, uh, got married, and I got to marry her, you guys, in my backyard, and it was wonderful and amazing and beautiful. And did I say a ton of work? Because it was also a ton of work. We're still a little bit in the cleanup stage, so on Taco Tuesday, I cannot guarantee what you're going to find. Okay? Just move it aside and eat that taco. If... Cheerios for sure. (laughs) Um, I also want to make an announcement. It's a last-minute announcement, and it comes to us via Mary Trine, which is if you're coming to Taco Tuesday, and please come because it's so fun, and it's a wonderful opportunity to really know each other better than Sunday mornings provide. Um, Bring a dessert. Bring something to share. Because we do eat tacos, but we also need cookies. All right, and with all of that, we are still in the parables, and there's an amazing parable in Luke. There's actually a lot of amazing parables in the book of Luke, but I get to teach on one. It's called The Persistent Widow and the Unjust Judge, and the way I want to talk about it today is I think I want to begin by talking about my grandmother, my grandmother, Oma. I'm also an Oma, but she was the original. She's the OG Oma. Uh, was an amazing, amazing woman. And I've given you like snippets of her life uh, as long as I've known any of you. And you've heard little bits and pieces. And I just felt like it was really important that you understood this widow that raised me. Because um, when she was nine years old, her father died. And she went to an orphanage. She had a mother... She still went to an orphanage. I can't figure that one out. No one's ever explained it to me. She was in that orphanage until she was 18 years old. It was a Prussian military orphanage in the uh, eastern part of Germany in Prussia. And uh, at 18, she was told, got to go. 
She went to her mother's and her mother said, I don't have any room for you, figure it out. So she got a job uh, as a maid in a house. And in that house there was a young man and he impregnated my grandmother with my, with my aunt. She, uh, she says she didn't know what she was doing. I'm a little skeptical now that I'm older. And uh, to be an unwed mother in Eastern Europe, in 1924 was a travesty and a hardship. And she was a pariah in her community. So what did she do? She, she had a baby and she got a job in a brick factory. And she made bricks to support this little girl that she had given birth to. At that brick factory, she met a man who was also, oh geez. This is what happens when you start with a disclaimer. Anyway, at, I don't need that now. At the brick factory, uh, she met a man who had also been raised in an orphanage under similar, like, traumatic, we would call that today, circumstances. And he said, I will give you a name, and I will marry you. And so he did. They got married, and that was my grandfather. And then with that grandfather, she had another child, my mother, and then uh, when World War II broke out, while he was not a part of the army, at the end of the war, the Germans were giving any man or boy and some women that they could find guns and saying, go fight for the Reich. And on the third day that my grandfather was in the army, quotation marks, he was killed. So my grandmother became a widow before I was ever born. And all I ever know about my grandmother is that she was a widow. But she was this crazy kind of widow where she always made life happen. Uh, we gleaned fields. I've told you those stories. We would go to potato fields and we would pick potatoes. She would always find a way to feed us. She lobbied for us to come to America. We're here because of her. Even though she was here from 1955 until she died in 1992, she hardly spoke any English words. <laughs> kind of crazy, but true. But she took the bus everywhere. She took the bus to L.A. She went and shopped. She always, she always made it work, you guys. She figured it out. When I was 12 years old, this same Oma... Well, I, I need, before I go to that, I need to tell you that she spent a lot of time chasing me around the house with a fly swatter. And that was because I was not obeying. So she taught me how to obey because disobedience is painful. And then uh, when I was 12 years old, she gave me a Bible. And I still have that Bible. You know, it's the small, faux leather white Bible, King James Version. Some of you may even have some of those left around. That particular Bible was uh, hard. I remember opening it and going, I, I, these words mean nothing to me, and closing it right back up. But because I was weary of the uh, fly swatter, I did attend church with her as often as possible. My grandmother was always a widow, and she always persevered. When I was a teenager and I had a car and I was driving, this is how she would get into my car. She would walk up to the car. It was a Volkswagen, PBW 523. That was the license. She would put her hands on the roof 
And on the door, she would start to pray in German. Ach Gott, bitte, lass es keine Fadding. Es soll alles hier gut sein, bitte. Pass auf uns auf, Herr Levi, Herr Jesus. Then she would get in and I'd go, what, what are you doing? She'd say, I'm praying for the car. I said, well, why? She says, because you're driving it. <laughs> you know, this woman had faith, right? She persevered. Whenever she came to my house when I was grown, well, I have to tell you also that she brought me bananas to high school. So here I am in high school, I'm trying to be cool. I never was, but I was trying to be cool. And then every once in a while, I'd be walking to a certain spot, and there would be a chain-link fence, and there would be a sh very short lady yelling in German, Bobby, Barbara, and she would have a banana in her hand. And she would not stop yelling at me until I grabbed the banana. So it wasn't like I could move, you know, beyond it and not notice. No, I had to get the banana to get her to be quiet. She, so... She kept me fed in high school. She kept me safe in my car. She was an amazing, amazing woman. Later on, um, she would break into my apartments. Apartments, plural. And she would do my dishes. She also one time found a small plate of marijuana that she then presented to me with that same look on her face that the way that she used to smack me with the fly slaughter, she had that same look on her face. A fear of God, that woman could really bring me to uh, a place of considering my life and my decisions. She was a very persevering widow. She was an amazing, amazing woman. There's so many other stories that I have about her <laughs> that I won't go into. But needless to say, she was um, a woman to be reckoned with. She was four foot eight. She never got any taller than that. She was the strongest, most faithful woman I know. She loved God. She never wavered in her faith. One of the sweetest things that I remember was that uh, when I was in my 30s and I had started attending church because my heart said yes to Jesus. She was at a gathering with me in that particular church, and then afterwards she, she said to me, you are changed. You are anointed by God. You've been touched by the Holy Spirit. And there was something about those words that felt like a blessing. And there was something about those words that felt like a potato. and clean dishes, and so many other things that she gave to me, this widowed grandmother of mine, this Oma, that I loved like crazy. The Hebrew word for widow is almana. It's usually translated widow, but it really has so many other meanings. And one of the things that I want to say right at the get-go here is that if you are male, you cannot disqualify yourself because... Even the, this, word, this word can even refer to a man. So while this is, I'm going to read you what I wrote down. It, it's usually translated widow, but it often does not simply mean a woman whose husband is dead, 
but can also mean a once married woman who has no means of financial support anymore, so a divorced woman. It can also mean a single woman, a small child, and it can refer to a man. In fact, ultimately the word almana, the word widow, is someone or anyone who has little or no influence. It can also mean silent and voiceless. My Oma was a widow, but my Oma had a voice. <laughs> and her voice maybe was digging in the dirt. Her voice was washing dishes. Her voice was heard in all kinds of different ways other than just words coming out of her mouth. She had a very interesting way of using her voice. So in the scripture that we're going to read today, we've got, to, we've got to really think about the context of the scripture. We have to remember that in Jewish tradition, women didn't go to court. Men went to court. In Jewish tradition, we took care of, or they took care of, widows and orphans. Those are big, biblically. So a widow is meant to be taken care of, but she's not meant to speak for herself. But Jesus, I always love those words, but Jesus, because Jesus comes to town and he changes everything. When Alvia was uh, talking uh, and sharing about the parable that he was teaching on, he talked about the fact that these last parables are really part of Jesus' last trip to Jerusalem before he's crucified. So I kind of make up that what he's saying here is really, really important for us to hold on to. It's really important for us to grasp, to wrestle with, to take in, to make our own. So I want us together to own this particular passage. As I shared about my grandmother, you've heard not only that she was a widow, but what I'm hoping that you heard was a little bit about her identity, about who she was as a person. Because I used language like bold. Well, maybe I didn't use that word, but you heard bold, I hope. Bold, resourceful, faithful. All those things were my grandmother's identity. She knew, she knew all of that about herself. And she acted out of her identity. I'm going to take this to me because I was also born out of wedlock. And because of the circumstances of my life, bastard was a big word that was put on children that didn't have fathers. Especially after the war, especially in Germany, um, and especially in America also when we came to America. Children born out of wedlock were called bastards. Today, thank God, that stigma is no longer there, but it was then. And that identity was something that I actually learned about myself early on as a small child. And I will tell you that I called myself that. You're nothing but a... And I felt that. I felt less than. I felt like a widow, even though I was a kid. And then there's this other name that I have. It's Barbara. And Barbara was kind of the name that I put over bastard. Notice they both begin with B and have seven letters. Strange. Um, anyway, 
So Barbara became the imposter, the false self. Barbara became the name over what I truly believed about myself. And Barbara became my identity. And Barbara couldn't be competent, and Barbara can have a decent job, and Barbara is good at reading books, and Barbara likes to learn. But there's still this part of me that knows Barbara is really a bastard. And then one day after my grandmother blessed me with her words, I was teaching um, to a small group of women. And I said, do you know what God says I am? He says, I'm beloved. Wow, seven, seven letters, starts with a B. Suddenly, my identity became clear to me. But my grandmother had a lot to do with that because it wasn't just God. God uses us. God uses each and every one of us to speak into each other's lives over and over and over again to confirm who we really are. Everyone in this room, your name, like mine, is beloved. Whether you own it yet or not, whether you've put it aside because you've called yourself some other names, but that is what the truth is, and that is what is true. And uh, it's so interesting, but it kind of takes a widow to tell us that. So um, let's go back to this Jesus man, this Jesus who had a way of changing everything, this Jesus who is in Jerusalem. He's speaking in this season to a lot of the religious people. He's speaking to the Pharisees. And the way Steve pointed out last week and Avia pointed out, uh, the Pharisees must have known that he, he both loved them and disagreed with them. And those that were tax collectors and women and widows and women who bled and had been pushed outside of the city, they also knew that. They also knew that he loved them. And that he was actually exalting the oppressed to their rightful place in the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom that is always upside down. It should never make sense to us. It should always be a surprise. There should always be a new revelation about Jesus. Whoa, you're that? You're that big? You're that loving? You're that encompassing? Whoa, Jesus. I think about the Jesus that I know in this moment. I feel like he's so big. I'm so clear that I can't contain him. But then I'm also thinking that there's going to be a Jesus that I know in a year, in five years, hopefully in ten years. He's going to be even bigger, even more love, even more room for things that I'm not even aware of yet. Kind of exciting. So in Mary's song, the Magnificat, as it's called, um, there's this really interesting Kenneth Bailey in um, one of his books that he's written on the parables and looking at scripture through the eyes of a Jewish person, Middle Eastern eyes. He talks about the Magnificat at being that place of influence that God gave to a woman 
that had not been there before in the societal context of that time. And Jesus always gave place to women. He gave a lot of place to his mother. He had female disciples. Not only were they his disciples, because in addition to the 12, remember when he sent them out? He sent the 12 and the women who financed his work. So he had female benefactors that were his disciples. That's amazing. He just turned it all upside down. He healed women. <laughs> he did he, did, he invited women to sit at his feet, which was the place that men had, not the place that the women had. So he was turning that whole thing upside down as well. And now he tells this story. Where am I? Okay. Here is the actual scripture. It's Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. It's going to be up on the screen for you guys. He told them a parable. Remember, a parable is a short story that means something to the people it's being told to. And there was a context in which this parable was told. But there's a context today in which we hear the parable that is different. But it's meant to mean something to us today in our context. And we'll get there in just a little bit. So he told them a parable, urging them to keep praying and never grow discouraged. The parable went like this. I'm raising my hand because I have something I want to say here. There's, the commentators really believe that this very first um, verse was not written by Jesus. There was something called the Jesus Seminar that happened, I don't know, 70s, 80s, where they, they had a lot of think tank type uh, people trying to figure out what really were the words of Jesus and what weren't. And they were pretty clear on this particular parable that this parable is Jesus' words. So let's, let's really hear that. Let's let that really work deep in our hearts and souls as we continue reading. Now Jesus speaks. There was a judge living in a certain city. He showed no respect for God or humanity. In that same city, there was a widow. Again and again, she kept coming to him, seeking justice. Clear my name for my adversary's false accusations. He paid no attention to her request for a while. But then he said to himself, I don't care about what God thinks of me, much less what any mere human thinks. But this widow is driving me crazy. She's annoying. Her voice, she keeps coming back. She's never going to quit coming to see me unless I hear her case and provide her legal protection. Did you catch what this self-assured judge said? If he can be moved to act justly, won't God bring justice for his chosen people when they cry to him day and night? Will he be slow to bring them justice? I just want to address that question. Sometimes, yes. In fact, I want to address that question with many times. God, in our sense of time, is slow. Mark my words, God will intervene fast with vindication, but here's the question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find 
anyone who still has faith. That makes me want to go to how I titled this particular teaching. I titled it The Widow and the Judge or Outcast plus Widow plus Identity plus Perseverance equals Faith. Will he find anyone who still has faith? So I told you about that Bible that made no sense. That white faux leather Bible. Well, things changed. <laughs> the words started to um, jump out of the pages into my mind and in, down into my heart. And then they, they moved in um, the way that I tried to live life, not always successfully, but definitely attempted to live like those words were asking me to. And we have done something very, very interesting in this place, in this church, called our Mark Bible Study. And in that Bible study, one of the things that we did is that whoever was leading it wasn't necessarily teaching the scripture. They were actually assisting the people to handle the scripture, to wrestle with it, to consider it, to let it move into us. Because see, that is really the role of whoever is standing up here. It's to feed food that we take into our mouths, we chew, we swallow. Certain things we get to keep, other things we don't. That's probably too much there. Um, but yeah, it becomes a part of us. It strengthens us. It, gives, it allows us to continue living. That's what scripture is meant to do. So what about this parable? So this is what we would have done with this scripture in Luke. We would have said, read the scripture. You all have, or very close to you, sheets of paper. So this is your part of this teaching. And you have the scripture right here. And this is what we would do with it, is we would set you off into your individual places, which is where you all are, and you would read this scripture. So I'm going to ask that you do that again in just a second. And then out of the reading, you would actually come up with some questions and then whoever was leading that Bible study would have a whiteboard here, and they would write those questions down. And if you want to share a question, I'm open to getting one because I have access to another mic. So I would like to hear from you about this scripture. And we would talk about things like the historical context. But we would ask questions about the historical context. And then we would ask questions about the theology of what it is that we were reading, the theological context. And I have some questions about what I just read to you. I have some questions about the judge, which this is really interesting. Judges were called Diane Gezeroth, which means judges of punishments. But the people called them Diane Gezeloth, which means robber judges, because they uh, worked better if they were being bribed. Not too dissimilar. Um, so when Jesus said that the judge neither feared God nor had respect for people, it, it, that made perfect sense to his listeners. And then what about the widow? The symbol of all the poor and powerless. 
She had no ability to pay a bribe. She wasn't even supposed to be in that room. She only had one thing going for her, and that was tenacity. So questions that I wrote are, what was the widow ruckusing for? I mean, it says justice, but what exactly was she needing? Also, who was her voice? Was there someone else there pleading on her behalf? How was she actually being heard? Remember what I said about my Oma, about sometimes her voice was digging potatoes in a field, and sometimes her voice was washing dishes in my apartment. This is a question that I have about this story. What if the story is upside down? Because it's really easy to put myself in the role of the widow. And sometimes that is exactly who I am. But am I the judge? How often do I not hear the voice of the voiceless? And how often, even when I hear that voice, do I dismiss it, drown it out with things that I think are more important, find a way to dissociate from those voices? Is there still a call to justice from the widows of our world today? Questions. So I'm going to give you like three minutes to write down some questions. And then we're going to take communion together. Does anybody have a question yet that they would like to share? Well, Scripture, I mean, I can't answer that. I wish I could. Scripture doesn't tell us what she needed. But it caused her. It caused her to go outside of herself and be bold and give herself in places that she did not belong so what is, what, is it, what is it in us that causes us? Where are we willing to go for it? Who else has a question? What does the scripture bring up as you are wrestling with it yourself? Mary. When I think about this, I go like, God, like in other places of your word you say, you, you desire to hear us. We know that you're capable of hearing us the first time. When two or three are gathered, you hear us. So why in this instance are you saying, keep coming back. I need you to, I need you to ask me a million times. And so I say like, Lord, are you both? It, what is the reason? What did the woman get out of coming over and over and over again? And what do we get out of like, asking once and seeing it. Like, I mean, I think it's like God is so, he's so big. He's saying, you know, I, guys, I can do it any way I want to do it. So the reason I'm showing you all these examples is for you, like to do something in your heart. I think that's great. That's a great question, Mary. And what if God is the widow? What if he's the one who's coming over and over? pleading for justice, saying, will you hear my voice? And if God inhabits each of us, is he the voice of the oppressed that sometimes we don't want to hear? 
This morning when we were praying, I was just thinking about the Afghanistani earthquake that killed thousands of people. And my heart was already so heavy with so much other bad news. Is it really news? I don't know. Bad editorial opinions, whatever. My heart was already so heavy, it was like I, ha I made a conscious decision that I couldn't hear that voice. It was too much. I can't listen to that now. It's too heavy. It's too hard. I, I think about how many times I'm able to shut those voices out, the voices that cry for justice. I mean, we, we can do that with lots of voices that are crying for justice, can't we? We can make decisions not to listen. Great. That's great, Mary. What other questions came up? We have time for like one more question, and then we're going to take communion. Valida has a question. I love having a runner for the mic, <laughs> Danny. My question was um, in the first verse where um, he spake the parable um, to this end, that men ought to always pray and not faint. So those instructions basically is my question. Um, was she showing that by coming to the judge and not um, letting go of that, that is that was that her prayer or kind of what's yeah. the connection between the end result and kind of what happened with her? That's good. I, I, I think the end result could always be different, by the way. I don't think the end result is always in our favor. I don't think the answer to the prayer is always yes. And that's a hard one because that means I have to trust God <laughs> more than I trust my ability to request. Um, but what I do think, what I do think this implies is don't stop using your voice for the things that are so important, that are so on your heart, that you have got to go for them. So... If we can end this time together, let me pray over each of us. Jesus, help us, help us really to uncurl the parts, Lord, <laughs> the parts in us that want and need and know that these are the places where we need to be bold, where we need to step out, where we need to ask continuously, where we need to risk being annoying, Lord for the sake of what we know is true and what we believe honors and glorifies you. May that be so for each and every one of us. Amen.